in. Hey, what's up? It's been a while. It's good to be back. Uh, so thankful to the elders and to this church for six weeks of a sabbatical time. Erica and I and the family were all so thankful. I'll tell you what, though, we are so glad to be back with you all. And uh, so glad to be back on this day. I mean, are you kidding me? We're five years old to the day. You know that? To the day. It was five years ago to the day that God started an awesome, awesome work here. And these five years have literally been the testament that uh, uh, the Lord builds his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Lord is the builder of his church. And then, oh, how about on our five-year anniversary, we get to plant our first church up the road? Doxa Bible Church is going. And if you, it's so neat what has happened even before their launch. So many people were, becoming, were coming before the launch. They had to go to two services on their launch Sunday today. That's what God is doing up there. And I would just tell you, if you've not gotten up there to check it out with your own eyes, uh, take a Sunday and go up there. There's not many opportunities you get uh, to go be a part of seeing God, like starting uh, this baby church that's going to be an awesome, awesome movement for the Lord. And so we are thrilled for that. I'm thrilled at the end of the service. Let's baptize four people. You ready for that? I mean, this is a good, this is the right day to be back, y'all, okay? It is so good. And then we begin a major, major series for our church here this morning in the book of Genesis. And so if you have your Bible, uh, turn to the very first page of it, Genesis chapter 1. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. And as we start at the beginning, I, I want to talk about some of what I would argue some, some great beginnings. Uh, let, me, let me talk about what I think is the greatest beginning of a movie in all of history, and it's the beginning of the movie, save, movie Saving Private Ryan. Uh, you have an elderly man walking through uh, the Normandy American Cemetery. Uh, he's overcome with emotion. You don't know the story yet, but you know uh, the story is going to be one that's intense and emotion-filled. Camera pans out to all the crosses there at the memorial. Uh, it, the camera goes back to the face of this elderly man, and as the camera begins to zoom in on his eyes, there's this immediate flashback to D-Day. And in the next, what, 10 to 15 minutes, some of the most intense moments of any movie you'll ever see. I remember where I was when I saw it. I remember the movie theater I was in when I saw it for the first time. I think some of the most gripping and emotion-filled first 15 minutes of a movie. Just a great, a great and harrowing and sobering beginning. Let's talk about what I would argue to be the best beginning of a book. From none other, right? Who do you think this goes to? C.S. Lewis, right? It's got to. Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Opening line. Best opening line of any book. I I mean, I'll go toe-to-toe with any of y'all on it. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. I mean, that's how the book begins. It's beautiful. (laughs) Only Clive Staples can do that for us, right? Uh, Talk about the best beginning of a Super Bowl in all of history, unless you're a Colts fan, right? Bears, Colts, I remember where I was. We're in a lobby of a dorm room at Wabash College. I'm with all these Indiana boys. They're pumped for the Colts. The ball gets kicked off, and Devin Hester just does his Devin Hester thing, runs it all the way back. And if you're a Bears fan, it's the only good thing that happened all night. (laughs) 
best beginning of a Super Bowl in history. Today, we start at the very beginning. And we start at the very beginning of the greatest story in all of history. The story of how a creator created that would lead to a beautiful story of how this creator redeemed a hopeless and lost people to himself. This is the most important beginning of the most important story in all of history. Uh, Genesis, the word itself, it means this. It means the origin of something. Uh, Just so we're on the same page, origin means this, the point or place where something begins. We're studying the beginning. We're studying how it all began. And this is such an important study for us. And so from now until Easter and just just over six-month time period, we're going to walk our way through the book of Genesis. And and we're going to break these 50 chapters of our Bible, uh, this this whole series, into its four parts. And I just want to outline these parts for you. Um, Part one is this, in the beginning. Seems fitting, right? And in part one, we're looking at creation. We're looking at the fall when sin entered the world. We're looking at the flood, and we're looking at Babel. And oh, by the way, I'm going to argue before us today, those are historical narrative. What does that mean? It's a story about history. What does that mean? It's a real story about history. It happened, and it happened like the Bible says it did. More on that to come. Part two, we're going to talk about the promise. Uh, There's this father of the faith, this guy named Abram, uh, whose name is changed to Abraham. You're going to see a lot of name changes in this book. Uh, This promise that God makes, that out of Abraham would come these descendants, that out of Abraham's line, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. How it was such a... uh, um, It was such a a hard-to-believe promise for Abraham in the moment. And yet, how this promised child, Isaac, comes, that's part two. And part three, we're going to talk about wrestling with God, Jacob. There's this epic wrestling match in Jacob's life that's kind of like this, this, this crescendo moment in his life, but really all of the life of Jacob is this wrestling match with God. And yet, Jacob is the one who uh, is submitted by God and whose name is changed to Israel, and from this Israel will come this blessed family. And then in part four, we're, gonna, uh, we're calling it God with us. It's the story of Joseph. And uh, in chapter 37, all the way to the end of Genesis in chapter 50, we watch this beautiful story that God weaves through the life of Joseph that's part of this biz- beautiful, bigger story of how God will save and redeem his people. And so that's where we're going. Now, let me tell you why I'm so excited for these 50 chapters of the Bible. I have waited for five years to know when was the right time to preach through Genesis because I believe a study in Genesis, all of Scripture is breathed out by God. All of Scripture is important, but we have to understand the book of Genesis. This is a study of origins. This is a study of origins. And and why is that so important? Because origins orient. What do I mean by that? Origins orient. Uh, to, to orient something is to align or position something relative to a fixed point. So think about it. A compass orients us. A compass tells us where we're at in relation to a fixed point of true north. The book of Genesis serves to us as a spiritual compass This unchanging north of some of the deepest, most important questions of life. How did this all come into existence? 
bigger than that. Why? Why are we here? Why is there a universe and galaxies in this world, this globe, this spinning globe that we're living on? What does it all matter? How did it happen? And what is the purpose? This is why it is so important that for six months of our church life, we walk through and understand the first 50 chapters of the Bible. Y'all with me? Because it orients us. And I'll tell you what, it's a great time to, to look someone in the eyes and say, you need, you need to come to church with me. I mean, just tell them, we're starting at page one. We're starting in the very beginning. We're going to understand some of the deep, try to understand together some of the deepest questions of life. How did this all start? What's the point of it all? Why are we here? Is there a creator? I mean, this is the time to look someone you love in the eyes and say, hey, next Sunday, I'll see you here at 830. They're like, yeah, right. Okay, 10. Okay, 11.30, deal. <laughs> this is the time. And so today, uh, we're going to start at the very beginning of the very beginning. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, and all of today can be summarized in this sentence. God made the world by speaking. Who? I can't wait to get to that part. God made the world by speaking something out of nothing, order out of chaos, and life out of dust. God made the world by speaking Something out of nothing, order out of chaos, life out of dust. And what I want to do today is I want to take this statement, I want to break it into two parts. I want to talk about God making the world. This seems pretty obvious, but I think we need to start there. And then I want to talk about how God went about this. But before we jump in to verse 1 of chapter 1 of the whole Bible, I want to give us a moment of silence. And I want us to ask the Lord this question. What do you have for me in this series? What do you want me to hear from you out of your word in this series? Some of you in the room, you're going, okay, Lord, I don't believe the first 11 chapters of the Bible. I don't believe the creation account. I don't believe the fall. I don't believe the flood. I don't believe the Tower of Babel thing. Lord, I'm coming before you. I'm opening my heart and saying, I need to come to an understanding how you say this all began. Others of you, ask him, in this moment of silence, ask him, Lord, what do you have for me to learn? I want to give us some time to be silent before the Lord, before we open up his word together, and I'll close our time of silence by praying over us before we jump in. So take some time right here. Lord, I'm just praying that your spirit is working and speaking and prompting, Lord, specifically to each one of us, Lord, um, as we open to the first page of your written and inspired word, God, we are opening our hearts to you. 
Lord, give us, give us spiritual eyes to see, give us spiritual ears to hear, fill our hearts with faith. Lord, would we submit our lives under the authority of your word and not over it? God, would we believe what your word says? God, will you, uh, will you use your word today to encourage and to guide and to convict and to lead us into the lives you want us to live. God, I pray that as we open to your very first words. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hard stop. We're stopping there. It'll only take us nine and a half years to get through this book. We know the line, if you, if you have church background, if you have Bible familiarity, in your, you know the line. You know the first line of the Bible. In the beginning, God, what did he do? God created the heavens and the earth. And yet I think it's so important we don't fly by that. We, we start with the foundation. If origins orient, if an understanding of how something all begins, it, uh, that line is it's the most appropriate first line of the book of Genesis. That line is the most appropriate first line of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That line, that opening line, is the most intentional opening line for all of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why is it so important that we, that we have a hard stop right there? It's this first point, and it's this. This is God's world. And we are to live by God's ways. This is God's world. We are to do things the way that God says to do them. He is creator. We are created. We don't get to call the shots. He calls the shots. This is God's world. We're just living in it. This is all about him. Growing up, we would play, you know, backyard wiffle ball. We'd play pickup basketball in the driveway. We'd play backyard football. And you know how, you know, these games start, and then with kids, there inevitably comes a point in the game where there's a disagreement over, like, what the proper backyard rules are. Are you with me? No, 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 no. The ghosty on second doesn't score on that. No, yes, he does. No, no, no. That's not how you play 21. 21 goes like that. No, no, no. The, the, the end zone isn't there. You're like, my yard, my rules. The end zone is there because that's where I passed and I scored. The ghostie does score there because I hit the ball and he scores. My yard, my rules. My court, my rules. Listen, God's world to be done God's way. We don't get to call the shots. We must surrender our autonomy to one who is bigger and grander, who is the creator of it all, who made us. This is important for us to understand. This world is not mine. This world is not Mother Earth's. Do you like that? You got to do that when you say that. That's how it works. This world is not some unknown force of higher being power. This is God's world, y'all. And because it's his, he 
gets to call the shots for how things work. And here's what's awesome for us. He's a loving God. And so his ways are in the best interest of the human beings in which he created and he loves. Psalm 24.1 tells us this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. A hymn written in 1901, This is my father's world. It says this, This is my father's world, and to my listening ears all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Y'all never heard that? Like a locker room speech. <laughs> it's amazing. Why is this so important? I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but why is it so important that we do a hard stop after verse 1? Because we live in a culture that doesn't believe this. And if I'm honest, Brock, if you're honest with yourself, you can be swept into the current of that culture so easily. Where all of a sudden I hear something, I read something, I listen to a podcast, watch or whatever, we see a YouTube video, and I'm like, oh yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. And I have to go, whoa, 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 no, no, no. The foundation, the theology that undergirds that does not make sense at all with what I read in Genesis 1.1. Let's be vigilant, y'all. This is our Father's world. And I have to remind myself, he's the creator. He calls the shots. I'm to come under and submit to the ways in which our Father says his world is supposed to work. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, there's a tool we use to try to disciple our kids, a new, a new City Catechism. I'd recommend it to you. A new City Catechism, you can download the app. You can, kind of have, it, you can have it in adult mode or kid mode. If you switch it over to kid mode, uh, question one is the same for adults or kids. The answer is abbreviated for the kids. Here's the kid answer. Question one, what is our only hope in life and death? Answer, that we are not our own but belong to God. It's our only hope in life and death, that we belong to God. We're going to talk in this sermon, how do we know we belong to God? It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. But that is our only hope, that we are God's. And so, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we have just defined that this is God's world, but it's important that we define how did God go about creating this world? How does, how does this really matter that we understand how God created this? Why is that important? And how did God do it? What we have listed out in Genesis chapter 1, I am arguing, is historical narrative. Like I said at the beginning, I am arguing that what we have in the first 11 verses or chapters of the Bible, creation, fall, flood, Babel, it happened. 
And it happened the way God says it happened. And, it, and if you want to read more on this, uh, Pastor Brian's compiled a document wherever you find this sermon on the website or in the sermon application guide. You can go read why we are arguing for a historical narrative, a story about history, a true story about history, interpretation of Genesis. And so um, I want to walk us through the days of creation, but before I do, I want to quickly defend why I'm arguing for a six literal 24-hour day creation. Uh, The first reason I'm arguing for that is this, all scripture is breathed out by God. Everything that we have from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to Revelation 22, verse 21, is breathed out by God. It is inspired, and it is uh, inerrant, and it is true in every way. And now, many of us in the room, even if you don't hold to a literal six-day creation, go, yeah, I agree with that, totally. I agree with that. Now, it leads us to understand, then, how do we go about interpreting Genesis chapter 1? So, can we, go, can we go to language class for a minute? You ready? Yeah, language class. Language arts. This is important. This is important, so let's spend some time here. It leads me to the second thing of why I'll defend a six-literal-day creation. Uh, We need to define yom in Genesis 1. You're like, totally, we do need to define that. (laughs) Yom, Hebrew word for day. We got to understand how is Genesis 1 using the word day, yom. Um, In our English language, let's use some examples, we use the word day in different ways. We might say something like this, it's light during the day, and it's dark at night. When we use day in that way, we're we're just describing a part of a 24-hour period where the sun is shining. We might use the word day like this. Back in my grandfather's day, when we use the word day like that, we're, we're describing a period of time. We might then use the word day like this. There are 24 hours in a day. We're describing the, the, time, uh, the, the time parameters around a literal day. Um, what you see in, uh, in, in each of the days of creation is a very specific formula, so to speak. Uh, each day begins with this, and God said, and God said, and God said. Again, I can't wait to get to that part. It's going to be epic. Each day ends with, and there was evening and there was morning the first day, or day one. And there was evening and there was morning the second day, or day two. Anytime in the Old Testament, you see number paired with yom, number paired with day, it's 24-hour literal day. Scholars will say of 410 instances, I think, in the Old Testament, it means 24-hour day. Other scholars will go, no, 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 no. Let me raise these handful, these few. I'm not quite sure that instance of number plus Hebrew word day means a literal 24-hour day. But even those scholars will say, but almost all of the 410 instances of number plus yom equal literal 24-hour day. It's compelling to me. Now, add on to this, the third reason I'll argue for this, the importance of evening and morning. Remember, and God said, here's what was created, and there was evening and there was morning day one. 38 times we find that expression, and there was evening and morning in the Old Testament. It means literal 24-hour day. Now, last thing, we got to look at later references back to the creation account. Let me give you an example. Uh, Ten Commandments. 
Uh, Moses is laying out uh, what he got from God on the Sabbath. He hearkens back to the creation account to defend the law of the Sabbath. For six days you are to work, but on the seventh you are to rest. Why? Because God made the world in six days and he rested on the seventh. It was the understanding of the Israelite community that this was how God created the world. I'm arguing for And people in our culture will call me crazy. I'm arguing for the Genesis creation account. God spoke it into existence in six literal 24-hour days. Now, I expect in small groups all over the south side this week, there to be some great discussion about that. Uh, Discuss it. But y'all, we're Bible people. Discuss it with your Bibles open. You with me? And you can say, but what about, and you know, what about this and what about this? But, but discuss it with your Bibles open. Exegete the text. What has God given us is the creation. Of, okay, I got to cook. I got I to get going. But that's why. And we can talk more about that as we go. But let me walk us through now this creation account. We're going to worship our way through. You ready to worship? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Picture it. Who's ever been in total pitch black darkness? where you couldn't even see your hand right here. Who's ever been in that? Think of how disorienting that is. We're in Israel, our archaeologist, he took us in some tunnels. You were supposed to go in the tunnels, but then there was a part in the tunnels you weren't supposed to go. And he's like, when we get here, I'm going to look around, make sure there's no workers. When I say run, you run into that dark tunnel. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) And so he, like, we're down in this tunnel under Jerusalem. And he's like, run! And we all take off into this. And we get down under. We, it was so cool. We should have been arrested and everything. And he's telling us about the significance of these tunnels. But at one point, he's like, turn your lights off. We turn our lights off. And I mean, if our flashlights went out, we're toast. There's no way we could figure out what direction anything was. In the beginning, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Before we can think about this beautiful creation that God makes, we have to understand it in like its pre-ordered form. It was formless, void, darkness is covering everything. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, and God what? And God, he said it. What did he say? And God said, let there be, let's talk big bang. God said light and there was light. Hold on. Worship over that. There's pitch black darkness, disorienting darkness. And our creator God spoke light and there was light. That's cool. You just got to give it to him on that. That's cool. I want to stop here. I want to give you the second part of the sermon. God's world was made by the power of God's word. God 
spoke the world into existence. And he starts on day one with light. I want to keep going. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Verse six, and God, come on, help me. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven or sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And so day one, light. Day two, the waters are part of the sea, or the sky. The sky is created. Day three, land is formed and, 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 and plants and trees begin to grow on this land. I was amazed this spring. The house uh, we bought has uh, apple trees and a peach tree in the backyard. Have you ever stopped to think there's a tree in your backyard that doesn't have fruit on it and then spring rolls around and fruit form? No, stop. Think about it. I know we're so used to it, but fruit start forming and the fruit grows and those peaches turn orange and then my wife picked them and she made peach ice cream And I knew that God's creation was good. <laughs> That's amazing. We're so used to it. But if we could pull up a chair, I, I, this is a dare for you next spring. Pull up a chair, watch a fruit tree all spring long. It's amazing. He's not done. God said, verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Go outside today. Look at the sun. Is the sun shining? I don't even know. No? Go outside tonight. Look at the moon. Look at the stars. Spoke. He spoke them into existence. God said, verse 20, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas. Let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. God spoke the massive sea creatures into being. 
On our sabbatical, we're kayaking in Florida. You don't kayak like this. You kayak like this. Um, and we're out in this little harbor, and I'm like, Lord, let us see a dolphin. Let us see a dolphin. I've been praying all week. Lord, I want to see a dolphin. And we're in the kayak, and like 20 yards out ahead of us, flipper. <laughs> and I'm in the back of the kayak like, yeah! And then again, right, you're looking, you're getting up, up out of the water. Our God spoke. And God said, 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. We're on a hike in Estes Park. And like just the view of that, right, alone, we're on this hike called Sky Pond. Anyone done it? No? Okay. Um, we come to a part on the hike, we're on our way back, elk. That is one big deer. You see it on national, but you see it, and you're looking at it, and you're like, don't start charging me. My neighbor comes over the other day, and he's like, you want to see what I got on my trail cam right on your field line there? I'm like, no, probably not. He turns around, bobcat. This is awesome. Like, God didn't have to speak all this with the level of creativity in which he did for us to enjoy, and yet that's what he did. He could have made like a cat and a sloth. Verse 26, I lost yet sloth. Then God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image. Now, I can't do the justice to the creation of man this week. Next week, we spend the entirety of our time talking about what does it mean that man and woman are made in the image of God and how does that deeply, deeply matter for an understanding of the identity of who we are as created beings. You're going to want to be here next week. I'm just saying, okay? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You, uh, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was what? It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. God's world was made by the power of God's word. Let's talk about how that happened. He spoke something out of nothing. Uh, it's creation ex nihilo. Creation out of nothing. 
When we make something, if you're a builder, if you're a potter, if you make something, you are imaging the creator God that we have. But we all start with raw materials. We create using something God created out of nothing. Total nothingness, God spoke, and boom, light, sky, land, seas, animals, humans. Um, He spoke order out of chaos. Out of the complete nothing and darkness, God begins to order things. And we now live in a world reaping the benefits in which we have messed up in a lot of ways of how God ordered this creation. He spoke life out of dust. More on that next week. How God formed the man. Gathered the dirt. Gathered the dust. Go out. I mean, go, go find a dirt patch in your, lar- in your yard and just, lay, just look at it. Go scrape the dustiest surface of your house. Y'all know where it is, right? And look at it. God spoke life into dust and man was formed. Now, let me tell you real quick, why in the world does this matter? What does this have to do with our day-to-day life today? If God made something out of nothing, if God brought this kind of order out of chaos, don't you think he can bring order out of your chaos? Don't you think you can bring your chaos to the one who made the world by the power of his word? I think about the things I like fret and stress about. And I, um, I think it's the end of the world. And oh my goodness, how's this ever going to get right? And oh my goodness, this is so messed up. And oh my goodness, and, oh, and I'm stressed. And, I, and, I, and you go, he said lion. And there was a lion. I think he's got this. How about the fact that he took this pile of dust, dirt, he breathes life into it. And there's life. Do you need hope for life today? Say that with all sincerity. Do you need hope for life today? The breath in your lungs are sovereignly given to you by Creator God. Scripture tells you your life matters. In fact, the words of Scripture are that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Scripture also tells you that you're created to be God's workmanship, his handiwork. You're created for good works in Christ Jesus. What God makes, he makes well. And what God makes, he doesn't make mistakes in making. You are made by the creator of the universe. And you've been put on this earth for such a time as now. And he wants a relationship with you. You're like, what does that even mean? He wants to know you. He wants you to walk with him. 
When we talk about the creation of man and woman next week, we'll see how they walked perfectly in relationship with God, and then sin broke that. All of us in this room have been, that fellowship with God has been broken by our sin. This is why Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross to take the penalty for our sin that we might be restored to a right relationship with our creator again. And God offers you a welcome to his family today if you will believe in Jesus Christ to save you. In a few moments, the service is going to end by people being baptized. These are folks who have, yes, said, yes, I am lost in my sin. I was created by God. I have rebelled against the way God said to do this life. I'm lost in my sin. Lord Jesus, I need you. Come save me from my sin. And God in his gracious act has come and has saved them through their faith in Jesus Christ. As these folks are baptized, I would tell you, if you're sitting in your seat right now and you've never cried out to Jesus Christ to be the savior of your life, you do that from your seat here today. You tell him, Lord, I, you are my creator, and I have rebelled against you. I want to know you. Will you come save me? I turn from my sin. I'm turning to you today. You tell him that in your seat today.